0: allowed things to be labelled and therefore pigeonholed as women's issues. And it's very easy then for the rest of the world, i.e. the non-women in the world, the men in the world, to say, well, that's not nothing to do with us. But of course it's to do with them.
1: Hello and welcome to the Medical Women podcast, the podcast from the Medical Women's Federation, the largest body of women doctors in the UK. I'm Dr. Nathana Bayankaram, I'm the Vice President of MWF, and I have the honor and joy of being your host, as each week we hear from wonderful guests to help you feel more empowered and confident on your medical career journey. Hello everyone, just a quick note before we get started on the episode. As you know, International Women's Day is coming up on the 8th of March, and we're delighted that we're doing a joint event with the Worshipful Society of Apothecaries, the event will be on the important topic of safety of women in cities, and this will hopefully be our first in-person event since the pandemic began. So we'd love to see you there, keeping everything crossed that we get to do it in person. I'll pop a link in the show notes so you can register your interest and you'll be the first to hear about tickets. I'm also really excited that it will be at the Apothecaries Hall because the first woman doctor to be granted a license to practice medicine in the UK was Dr. Elizabeth Garrett Anderson, and she gained her exam from the Society of Apothecaries. So, um register your interest at the link below and we'll get going on the episode. Welcome back to the Medical Women podcast. I hope you enjoyed learning about the history of the MWF in last week's episode. If you missed that, then definitely do give it a listen. This week I'm speaking to someone who needs little introduction, but I'll give her one anyway. Professor Nina Modi is a consultant neonatologist and has made significant contributions to both academic and clinical neonatology. She's currently the president of the British Medical Association, but is also past president of the Medical Women's Federation, the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health, the Academic Pediatrics Association of Great Britain and Ireland, and the Neonatal Society. Nina shares with us her first experiences of advocacy, the importance of inviting men to the table when we speak about gender equity, And together, we coined a new term, anti-pigeonholing. Perhaps we can get that into the Oxford English Dictionary in 2022. There's a challenge for all of us to work on together. Let's see how many times we can get hashtag anti-pigeonholing trending on social media. I hope you enjoy the episode. So welcome back to the Medical Women podcast, and I'm delighted today to be joined by our immediate past president, Professor Nina Modi. Hello, Nina. Welcome to the podcast.
0: It's great to be here.
1: Yes, it's it's lovely to, to have you. So um, Nina, if you could tell us a little bit about, about you and about your career.
0: Oh, gosh. Well, I've been, a, I've been a medic for a very long time. Well, I went to school around the world, then I went to Edinburgh University Medical School. Um, and then, as with most junior doctors, I worked my way up and down the country, moving uh, jobs every six months, moving locations quite frequently. So I worked in Edinburgh, in London, in Liverpool, and then back to London when I got uh, my senior lectureship and consultant post. And then I've been in London ever since then.
1: You've, you've been involved in neonates for, for quite a number of years. Um, when, when did you first decide that, that neonates was, was right for you?
0: Oh, gosh, uh, that, that, that that I think it, <laughs> a very long time ago. And it was way back in the days before neonatal medicine was a recognised specialty. So okay. there was no training programme in, in neonatal medicine. It, neonatology wasn't a recognised specialty. Babies were looked after by paediatricians, by general paediatricians. Um, but it was a very exciting time because... Um, things were starting to happen. The technology was becoming available for the first time, people were being able to ventilate the, um, preterm babies. And I remember vividly, um, I was a registrar up in Edinburgh at the time, and I remember having been read about this, and I remember vividly uh, one day being faced with a the birth, an unexpected birth of a preterm baby. And, um, and this baby needed resuscitating, and we um, intubated the baby. And then I remember my three consultants lined up behind me, and nobody knew what to do. You know, this is very early days of the medicine. Nobody, nobody knew, knew, knew what to, what to do. And I remember we we hooked the baby up to an old Lusco ventilator. Uh, the the Lusco vent- ventilators, uh, they were old. Um, um, uh, volume controlled ventilators, but they went for adults. And nobody quite knew what to do. And one of my consultants, who was a, who was a woman, she was standing behind me, and to this day I can hear her say, there's a chap down in London who says it's all about the eye time. Now what she was referring to was, was the, the, the inspiration time and the chap she was referring to was Osmond Reynolds. And anyway, long story short, I applied for a job, which I didn't think I'd get, but I did get. And it was the first um, unofficial. It was the first training post in the ever. It was unofficial. It was funded by Bliss. And it was at University College London with Osmond Reynolds, who was that the chap. There's a chap down in London. Um, and I was just thrilled to bits. I did not think I was going to get this job. I went for it because I really wanted, I really hated not knowing how to do something. And that that episode spurred my interest in how do you look after a preterm baby? Anyway, I got the job um, and that was why I became a neonatologist.
1: Wonderful. Well, we're very glad that you went for that, that post as well, as well, Nina. Um, and what was it that um that made you first get involved with the Medical Women's Federation?
0: Oh, that was, that was because I was challenged by a colleague because I'd been rather, let me say I'd been rather lukewarm about joining the Medical Women's Federation and had not joined, um, despite lots of folks suggesting I would joined. The reason I hadn't joined was because I'd gotten it into my head that the Medical Women's Federation was primarily speaking about women's issues rather than medical issues and I didn't think that was right because we are a medical women's federation and we're here as doctors not as women um doctors first and foremost and so we should be speaking about medical issues and of course we have an extra um view to bring when it comes to medical women's issues but we are doctors and we have a right to speak about all medical issues so I was a bit lukewarm about that until I was told well Nina I've heard you complaining about this forever and a day but you know why don't you actually do something about it and join the Medical Women's Federation rather than complaining about it. So with that challenge I felt I had no option Um, so I put my (laughs) tail between my legs and joined the Medical Women's Federation very contritely um, and, and realized that actually I should stop complaining and I should start actually Um, trying to to be the change that I was advocating for.
1: Well, it's been lovely having you as our our president from uh, 2020 to 2021, and... You know I think I think it's a really important point that you make there that lots of things get labeled as women's issues when actually they're societal issues. I've I've heard you speak about this this before, and I think it's it's so important that things like parental leave, it's not a, a women's issue, it's it's societal issues, and it's only when it's fair for everybody that, that things are better for everybody.
0: Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that's so important because for so many decades, so many centuries. I think we, as women, have done ourselves a disservice because we've allowed things to be labelled and therefore pigeonholed as women's issues. And it's very easy then for the rest of the world, i.e. the non-women in the world and men in the world, to say, well, that's not nothing to do with us. But of course it's to do with them. You know, their issues are our issues and our issues are their issues. We're all in this together and um, we shouldn't be pigeonholing things in, in, in this way. So I do feel very, very strongly that we should be, speaking about medical issues you know one of the things i was very keen to do and i was glad that i got a lot of support in doing was to change our strap line so yep. the strap line of the medical women's federation is now the voice of medical women on medical issues
1: yep absolutely and and so this podcast is is coming out in february 2022 to celebrate 105 years of the medical women's federation of course we've come a long way that there's still a lot to do. It would be great to hear from, from you a little bit about the background in advocating for women and children.
0: Well, let's start with Medical Women's Federation. The Medical Women's Federation has got a very proud history, a hundred plus year history and a very proud one too. And if you go back to the start of the Medical Women's Federation, sorry, I'm answering your question back to front. No, that's
1: absolutely fine.
0: If you go back to the start of the Medical Women's Federation a hundred plus years ago, it was all about advocacy. It was about the days of the suffragettes. And that was not a fight that was won easily. Very, very salutary to go back and read that history and um, and look at really uh, what I find incredibly moving is particularly to look at the photographs because you can see the opposition. I mean, I know one can read about the opposition that, that the women of the time were up against, but when you look at the pictures, the photographs, you can see what they were up against. They were they were determined and tough women, and they suffered for it. And you know, we all know that the the, the, the history of Emily Davidson and all of her, 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 her um, you know her contemporaries. Um, and and I very often ask myself, are we as tough as that today? Are we fighting the same kind of of, of fight today, um, or, or are we being a little bit lukewarm um, and perhaps not really um, recognizing that we've got to be. As, as tough as that in our advocacy? Are we being a little bit sometimes too polite? Do, and, I, and so I think going back to our history is, is quite important and helps us be re- reflective about where, where we need to go now in order to make changes happen. And that brings me on to equity, equality, women's rights. Um, Uh, whether within the medical profession or within society at large, there are some fierce battles to be fought that have been going on for many, many, many decades, and they have not been won. So again, I come back to the point, why is this? uh, Particularly as the law is now on our side, that it is against the law to be discriminatory, society in the main... not totally clearly in the main is on our side we have things much easier than our forebears did 100 years ago so why is it that progress is so slow why do we have such a big gender pay gap why is it that women still do the bulk of house care and child care why is it that women are unremunerated in comparison to their main counterparts um, it's not good enough what we're doing. whatever we're doing is just not working. So don't we need to beef up our advocacy a little bit?
1: yep, yeah, absolutely i'm I'm just vigorously nodding nodding along in in agreement that absolutely we do. and I think as you say, it's so important to to look back and and reflect because it just shows, how much those women did to pave the way for us 105 years ago it was so difficult for them to be uh, getting a place at medical school whereas I, I don't remember when when I applied to medical school I don't remember thinking oh I'm a woman I don't know if I if if I can apply so looking back and seeing how how much they've done for us I think is what really um motivates and inspires me to to want to do that for for the future so that in 105 years time they're saying oh apparently there was a gender pay gap in 2022 but that doesn't (laughs) exist (laughs) anymore yeah that would be that would be lovely so um so what can what can we do to to be better advocates so that so that in 105 years time they are looking back and thinking oh that was strange that there was a pay gap why did that exist
0: well i hope i hope I hope it won't be 105 years hence when, I hope they're looking back at that slightly slightly earlier. Yes, but yep. but, it, but again, I think we, we might do well to learn from some of the lessons of history, which is that very often simply speaking about the logic and the rights of an issue is just sadly not enough. And trying to get to maybe the root cause of why things are not changing would be good for us as well. Why do you think we've still got a gender pay gap?
1: Well, I guess, you know, it is, as you said, looking on a wider picture of of society that as a society where we, we still haven't got rid of those gender stereotypes, where despite women and men working um full-time or or working similar hours we're still expecting that the women will take care of of what happens at home so it's how do we change that narrative as as a society i think is what we need to think about
0: but is it our fault or is it their fault that women continue to be stereotyped in this way
1: that's that's a, a really good question. Um, so to answer your question on is it their fault or our fault? I'm not sure that we can um, say specifically if it's you know this person's fault or that person's fault because I think it when these things are sort of entrenched in society, it it takes not just one person or one group of people, we all need to work together to stop that narrative from from continuing. Um, which is why I think this is this is really important, because it's only if if we do all work together that we we stop with the with the stereotypes.
0: So I remember the story now. I knew it would come back to me. I remember the story I think I was about to say. It's the story about when um so when I got married, my mum assumed that I would change my name, even though for my whole life I've been saying, there's no way I'm ever going to change my name. I think it's ridiculous that a, a woman should take on her husband's name and lose her identity up to that point in time completely just because she's got married. So my mum knew this perfectly well, um, but she was a good Indian wife. And when I got married, she she assumed I would change my name despite the fact that I've been saying this for the last 25 years, I'm not gonna change my name. And she started to write to me, um, addressed to me in my husband's name. And I was really very upset by this. Um, So I did something which was very difficult, very, very difficult indeed, Um, but I felt I had to do in order to make my point because I failed dismally to make my point prior to that. And so I returned all her letters unopened back to her because they were not addressed to me. They were addressed to some other person who didn't exist. Um, and I felt, as I say, really, really bad about, about doing that, but I steeled myself and I did do it. And my mum did, did change her mind and she did then come to accept that her daughter was going to stay Dr. Modi and was not going to be Mrs. Anything ever, ever. Um, so that was a very small, personal, tiny personal way in which I came to realise that sometimes if you're going to change things, you do have to do things that are unpleasant and that you don't want to do. But if you don't do them, nothing's going to change. and it it was that that got me thinking to the broader, perhaps more important scale of things and thinking reflecting back on the what on what the suffragettes had to do in order to change things. And it then made me ask the question. Well, what do we have to do that might not be terribly nice or terribly pleasant or might be difficult, but that we might have to do if we are to change? Them?
1: Thank you for for sharing that story. So, just for um, just for some background for our listeners, Nina gave a wonderful talk on advocating for women and children at our recent autumn conference in two thousand and twenty one. And she'd mentioned in the Q and A that she had a story about how she first got into advocacy. But unfortunately, we we ran out of time. But I promised that we would bring it up on the on the podcast. So um, I'm delighted that we got to we got to hear that story. And I think know it, it shows that it does take courage and we have to sometimes do things that that aren't aren't very nice or or that are scary but but it is important that that we do them. So I guess for um, for our listeners, as you know, Nina, we've got members from medical students right the way to to retired uh, right retired doctors. So if there are younger members who are listening to this and thinking, oh well that sounds, that sounds fine but but how do I start building up that that courage to to speak up for things what what advice do you think you you could offer them
0: I, I think that it will come you know as I say this was a small personal thing in my life but but it but it happened <laughs> and it's, you know, it it helped me change the way I view things so I would say to everyone you can sometimes force change by thinking about it and making a very conscious decision to do something, or you can wait for that moment and be prepared to accept it for what it is when it presents yourself to you. You may be presented with a choice. You may, you know, a young woman may be presented with a choice about whether, uh, this is very typical for, med- for, for medical families, my husband's got the prospect of a job in town X and I have a prospect of a job in town Y. What are we going to do about this? Don't always assume if you're a woman that you are going to have to make the sacrifice.
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Nina. I think that's that's really um really important and you know you said um when you were speaking about your experience you said oh that was a, a little thing but actually I think it's it's a big a big thing because you know us standing up for something that's that's important to us and making a change is re- really really important and you know we don't have to it's not just going out and fighting big battles it's sort of making small changes slowly is absolutely how how things get get better over over time
0: I mean, could I add something to to that? Yes, of course. I've I've had a lot of friends, uh, women friends, um, friends or uh, mentees who have more friends, actually. This is more a story about friends who, because we've grown up together, and who have been disappointed, who've ended up becoming disappointed because they didn't make choices early on in their careers that were right for them. They made choices that were right for their husbands or their families or their children, or, or but not for them. And 10, 20, 30 years later, they've looked back and they've regretted those choices. So I think this is another very uh, female trait to assume and to feel guilty if you don't make a decision that is a decision on behalf of someone else first and foremost. But to them, I would say, think about you, yourself, into the future. You do not want to be disappointed in your life. You do not want to be embittered. You don't want to be sorrowful because you made the wrong choices. Now that doesn't mean that you have to make a difficult choice, but it's really more encouragement to say, think carefully through the implications of what you're deciding and talk to whoever you need to talk to at the time you know maybe your partner or whoever but but and try and reach a decision that's good for both of you not just for one of you
1: yeah absolutely and I guess if we don't speak up about those things people you know people might they might not know that oh okay actually this is what you think about this it's only when we speak up and say well actually this is quite important to me that then you can have that discussion about oh okay fine let's see how we can come up with a compromise that works for works for all parties um whereas if we kind of silently go along with things as as sometimes we're sort of taught to from from when we're at school to to be quiet and be a good girl or be a good boy and just go along with things that's then I think where it leads to lots of problems as well if we don't speak up. Well, thank you, Nina. You've given us, I think, lots of lots of things to to think about and, and reflect on from how it was for the, the women from 1917 when they were fighting for for the right to vote as well as the, the right to practice medicine to to where we are today. Looking forwards, I think we've mentioned a few things already, but what what are the kind of things that we that you think if we look over the next if we say for the next hundred years for for medical women what kind of things do you hope that we will have achieved by by then
0: well i hope none of us will be pigeonholed into categories whether it's a a gender-based category or a sex-based category or an ethnicity-based category i hope none of us will be categorized it would be very good if every individual human being could be viewed for what they are, who they are. Um, I don't want to be known as a woman or an Indian woman or a Bane woman or a, a, you know, a, a, a straight woman or anything else, or you know, a woman with two legs and two arms or whatever. Um, I do not want to be categorized. And I've, again, I feel that we may have done ourselves a disservice as medical women and as women by saying, well, of course, I give you a typical example in relation to to the gender pay gap, Mm -hmm. which is, oh, well, of course, uh, women are more likely to work less than full-time. I I find that particularly distasteful because if you ask a lot of men, they would love to work less than full-time, but of course they've been prohibited for doing this in many respects because of these stereotypes that they are meant to conform to. So I come back to my point that we're all in this together, and, and let's not pigeonhole people. Uh, the 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 number of committees and discussions and that I've been privy to, where women have been saying, "But but of course, women are more likely to want to work less than full time," and it's been all that I could do to, uh, uh, you know, to, to not get really 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 angry about this because it's pigeonholing us, and that's that's
1: not helpful uh, absolutely i think anti pigeon holing is definitely what uh, what the medical women's federation is, oh, I I is all love about that
0: one. i think we should we <laughs> should nail that one to the mast anti pigeon <laughs> Well, well, I think that's that's exactly what we're trying to do
1: at, at MWF. It's not labelling people as oh well, you know. And I think I think that's a really nice thing about the organisation as well that it's kind of not just specific specialties or or women of specific sort of stages of their career. It's it's a whole mix of us. And now that we've got our male honorary members as well, there's lots of lots of different people at the table, which is which is what we love. So yeah, definitely, I'm going to be speaking about anti pigeonholing. <laughs> quite a lot from 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 now on I think so Nina just uh to to kind of end the discussion Uh, I've just got a few quick fire questions for you if if that's okay (laughs) (laughs) everybody always gets nervous at this bit so uh, I always (laughs) say it's okay there's no there's no right or wrong wrong answers so the first uh, question is because I am a bookworm and love love to to read and ask people for book recommendations so what is your favorite book or a book that you think everyone should should read
0: well, I've got lots of favourite books, um, so I don't want to. Um, if I name one or two, it's not because they're necessarily the. the, the yeah, but but, le- but the ones the ones I'm going to name are the ones that I uh, tend to take on holiday if I just want something to to escape with, to clear my mind with. Yeah. And I've read them again and again and again and again and again, and will continue to read them again and again. And the two I'm going to mention are first of all, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the second is a book called *The Towers of Trebizond*.
1: I've not uh, heard of that one.
0: So *The Towers of Trebizond* is written by Rose Macaulay. Um, it's 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 a wonderful lyrical story um, about a, a woman who rides, who ends up traveling, ride, riding a camel through Turkey. It's 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 part love story, though her 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 her, her love interest only features. Peripherally. Okay. Um, it's a travel story because she starts out traveling with her aunt. It's also a story about religion lost and regained. Um, and it's this, a wonderful travelogue. And I love going to Turkey. I think Turkey is the most fascinating, beautiful country, like so many other countries. Um, but it's and it's got an iconic opening line, which is take my camel, said Aunt Dot. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> it, it's 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 as I say, it's all of those things: love story, travelogue, and um, story about finding yourself, losing yourself, and finding yourself again. So I, I thoroughly recommend The Towers of Trebizond,
1: and we'll definitely put links to to both of those books. And of course, everyone knows
0: *Killer Mockingbird*, and uh, you, you know that too is such an iconic book, which tells us so much about. Um, about changing attitudes about parenthood about childhood about race and about just doing good
1: yep absolutely um and I think that's that's another book that you can just keep rereading again really? and again as well definitely so um we'll put links to to both of those two in,
0: great women writers
1: yes exactly two wonderful women women writers so the next question I was going to ask you Nina is um what is the best piece of advice that you, you have ever been given that, that you would wish for other people to hear?
0: Oh, that's a tricky one that I've ever been given. I think it would probably be a variation of, well, if, if, if you don't try, you'll never, you'll never succeed. Something like that. You know, if you don't go for it. you know, if you don't go for it, well, it's a sure dead cert way of not getting it.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think that's that's definitely advice that again, we can always hear again and again. So next time the the imposter syndrome kicks in we'll just hear Nina's voice yes, saying just exactly. just go for it just go for it and actually that's how I ended up as the MWF vice president because initially I thought oh I don't think I can do that I think I th- you know I, I think I'm quite junior and I've not seen junior doctors in that post before and it was a conversation uh, with you Nina where you just said yeah oh. just just forget about
0: that just just oh. go for it and I thought well, okay fine. Like you. <laughs> I handed on that advice and I'm so glad I did because, again, the, I think the MWF is incredibly uh, more enriched with ha- having you here. I think you're probably the youngest, uh, if you don't mind my saying that, the vice president MWF <laughs> has ever had. And it's wonderful. No pigeonholing.
1: Yes, anti no <laughs> pigeonholing. Exactly. The other question that I was going to ask is Is there something that you know now that you wish that you had known earlier on in your career?
0: Oh yes, it's again. It's and it's the old thing, you know, understanding the fact that women do suffer from imposter syndrome. So it's it's to say, you know, be more confident and don't worry if you fail.
1: Yeah, I think it it would be lovely if we could kind of look back at our our younger selves and say, you know, you just go for it. Definitely. Thank you, Nina. The final question is one that I have borrowed from the wonderful RCPCH and us. Um, So for our listeners, this is a group of children and young people who work very closely with the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health. I I wonder, you might have been asked this question already, Nina, as a past president of the RCPCH. Were you interviewed uh, by RCPCH and as when you were were applying for the presidency role? If if not, you may have evaded this question.
0: No, because it came in while I was president. We introduced it. We introduced the the children's panels, as it were, when I was was president. So I wasn't interviewed um, by them when I came in. Um, but I did work very closely with them during my tenure as president.
1: Wonderful. I was I was trying to work out actually whether it was uh, during your uh, your presidency that they had they had come in as as a group. So since then they have of course been doing lots of wonderful work. but one of the things that I really enjoyed seeing was them interviewing the uh, candidates who now apply for the role of president at the RCPCH. And they asked this wonderful question, which they have very kindly let me borrow for this podcast because I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, so the question is: If you were a type of biscuit, what type of biscuit would you be, and why?
0: Oh, <laughs> what a lovely question! Oh gosh, well I'd be a uh, I'd be a milk chocolate digestive, and why? And why? Because it's crunchy, but but also a bit crumbly. You know, doesn't is not is not rock hard, rigid, but also It's sweet on one side and not sweet on the other side. It's
1: also a very versatile biscuit as well.
0: I guess so. I guess so. And that's shown (laughs) by the fact that so many of us (laughs) will admit to enjoying them.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think I'm I'm asking sort of dangerous questions on this podcast. I feel like at the end I'm going to be sit, sitting there with with lots of biscuits and lots of books. Well, Nina, it's been so so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for everything that you you do in advocating for women and children and for as always continuing to to support the MWF.
0: No, thank you, Nathanael. It's been a great discussion, and as I say, it's what wonderful that you, you did, I, I've forgotten about our conversation, but it's wonderful that um, you did become our vice president.
1: Yes, thank you for helping me to uh, quieten my inner imposter voice and to just just go for it. And uh, I'm, I'm really glad that, that I did so. I'm glad that you gave <laughs> me advice and that I listened. So thank you so much. Uh,
0: well, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. That's, that's That's the main thing. And the fact that you've taken on doing all of these podcasts... it seems to me, is a little bit of proof positive of that.
1: Thank you for listening to the Medical Women podcast. Make sure to subscribe for free on whichever podcast platform you listen on so that you can automatically get our episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. This is a brand new podcast and it would really help people to know that we exist. If you're interested in joining the Medical Women's Federation, we'd love to have you. And all links to our website and social media are in the show notes. This podcast has been produced on behalf of the Medical Women's Federation by Dr. Nathana Bayankram and Miss Jenna McKenzie. Our music was composed and played by Ms. Kaithkee Bayankram. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again soon.